It's time for Talking Tauntauns! Your Star Wars source at AIPTcomics.com. Hey, what's up everybody and welcome to another episode of Talking Tauntauns. I am JJ Travers and I'm joined tonight by my two co-hosts, as always, Jim Lehane and Connor Christensen. We're also joined by a special guest tonight, uh, one of AIPT's probably longest tenured staff members and contributors uh, and the gentleman that's been reviewing every episode of the final season of Clone Wars uh, on the site, and that is Mr. Nick Nafpliotis. Thanks for being on the show, Nick. We're happy to have you tonight. Thanks for having me, um, especially today of all days. It's been nonstop Star Wars, and definitely getting a, enjoying a chance to get talked about it with people. So, yeah, uh, we're the episode won't come out. Um, on may the 4th but for everyone's context today is uh may the 4th so may the 4th be with you uh there was about a million different star wars announcements and news pieces today uh we're gonna try to get to some of them i haven't even read all of them yet uh but probably most exciting out of everything that happened i think everyone on the show will at least agree is that the season finale for the final episode of the final season um, concluding a series that started, what, over 10 years ago now, uh, Clone Wars. It ended today, uh, and it was, <laughs> for the third opinion, time, <laughs> quite fitting. Uh, but yeah, before we get into uh, the last three episodes, 10, 11, and 12. Um, just off the cuff, knee jerk reaction. Were you guys happy with this season? I would say uh, two thirds of it. Yeah, especially with the way the season ended. And we're gonna do spoilers because if you're listening to this show, I assume you've seen it. Um, but like, it, I loved the final arc. I loved the first arc, but that middle arc, the without a trace arc, just felt. Especially with the way the show ended, I was like, you could have totally done away with that. Like just kind of like a waste of time but other other than that i i loved it i felt like there were two episodes that arc and here's the thing i get why they did it you had to have rex's closure and you had to have ahsoka's closure with their own personal journeys to get to this i understand that um but i felt like there were two episodes in there the first episode you know where ahsoka met um trace and then the one where they tried to escape the prison just ended up back in the prison I don't know. There was a lot of that that could have been compressed down and it was a little frustrating. I get why they did it. And I think it, I, I think it, in the end it ended up helping the Mandalorian arc the way it set up, you know, uh, Soka's continued disillusionment with the Jedi order that said, I don't think it needed four episodes. That was, a, that was a bit of a stretch, but as far as the bad batch and especially the siege of Mandalore, that was outstanding. Yeah. It's pretty much like, like I've said before, Clone Wars was never my jam, and this is exactly the reason why it wasn't my jam is because these these arcs, um, some of them, the arcs in the entire series, some of the arcs are great, some of them were not so great, and that's exactly what we got here. So it's kind of more par for the course, but um, your your highs in this instance are really as as high as you can get as some of the best animation that we've had. I still don't think it's as good as some of the Rebels episodes, which were, in my opinion, um, those later Rebels, uh, those uh, two-part and uh, I think three-part up later Rebels episodes were literally the best that you can get in animation. But this is as close as you can get to that. 
Uh, and you never know, like George Lucas said, uh, was talking, doing an interview very recently. He said his favorite arc of the series might be the D squad. Crazy me. I, yeah. I saw that interview and I, I, I saw that interview just after I watched that arc. And I was like, I hated those episodes. Oh, I, I told you. Episodes. Didn't I tell yeah. you that was the Gascon uh, yeah. uh, episodes? And I'm like, Connor's not going to like these, but I actually kind of do. I was um, like, it's so fitting that, of course, George Lucas's favorite arc is the one that almost made me stop watching in the middle of the season. That was a terrible series of episodes. And I remember thinking, I was like, okay, this is a funny one-off. And when it became clear this is going to be an arc, I was like, gonna, oh. I, okay, I had the same thought. I'm like, oh, it's going to be this cool little one-off of like these droids doing it. Oh, my God, it's a four- four episode arc of these droids and this insufferable little alien leader. Uh, but who you had the, who was the clone who ended up being in it? Forgot his name. Gregor. Gregor. I think it was Gregor. Yeah. The, the super that, clone commander. That made it kind of good. Yeah. It, but there's was, only so much of, of droids having existential crises that you can have. I mean, it was just like, come on. <laughs> we, we get it. George Lucas, you're, you're confused about the purpose of life. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, oh. So, what did you guys think about uh, seeing Order sixty six play out from Ahsoka's point of view? It it uh, I think there was a lot of anticipation built up to it, um, and it wasn't that you know it wasn't that exciting because what were you gonna see with her on a ship in the middle of hyperspace? I mean, her personal um, situation and reality that she had to deal with her her clones turning on her was heartbreaking, you know, especially with all of them with her. Um, I don't know if, if it's just the way her skin is or if that's actually makeup, regardless, you know what I mean? The helmets, um, that whole thing was great, but in the larger scheme of things involving the rest of the Jedi order, there really wasn't anything there. Well, and I don't think there was a whole lot to do. Um, you know, we already saw in revenge of the Sith, the viewpoint of it going from different worlds and watching the Jedi get, you know, get taken by surprise. And we'd already seen that point of view. This was, and a lot of this, cause it was a show, but this was a much more personal example of it. You know, the closest we really got to seeing how close the clones were to their commanders in revenge of the Sith was Cody saying, come on, sir, when have I ever let you down? Or Anakin wanting to go back and help a pilot. And this, we really got to see a bond there. And um, I mean, there's something just operatic about about Kasoka being chased through the ship with clones with her face painted on their helmets as they're trying to murder her. And I mean, she doesn't understand. And I mean, the fact that she still doesn't want to kill them, you know, like, I mean, Yoda had no problem cutting off Commander Gree's head right? <laughs> when he had to. But uh, I mean, she was doing everything she could to avoid killing these highly trained soldiers who were doing everything in their power, including if it took self-sacrifice to execute her. Yeah, that's a, they they played with the fact that we knew that movie and they played with that well because they started off the episode and through the they start off the episode kind of setting our stage, especially like the previous episode where we got literal um, literal lines from episode three with uh, the Jedi Council. And then this entire episode, that was the third episode. It was just us waiting for Order 66 to happen. And even the music kind of played into it. The music was ominous. It's like, you know this is going to happen. You know it's coming. And we're just going to keep dragging it out till we get there. 
Kevin Kenner outdid himself. That was that the score for all four episodes is just phenomenal. Oh, it was and fantastic. Like, especially, I mean, those last, the, even the last. Uh, and sorry, I know you wanted to, you went back to episode the third episode, but just for a real quick thing, the finale. You know, the last five or six minutes had no dialogue, and it was just insanely powerful. The oh, part on, that was um, the score with Vader. Yeah, and with Ahsoka, with her looking yeah. at all the helmets of those soldiers she buried, even though they tried to kill her. The, the the soundtrack really stood out in those two scenes. It was super powerful. It, it felt like the soundtrack as a whole this time they 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 relied a lot more on like using music as a like um like a tone setter and like a mood setter more than just as like music. Uh, like mm-hmm. there was a lot like I would say like there were there were like almost like Blade Runner vibes to it where it's like less music and it's more of just an ominous tone that makes you understand the context of the scene more and i think that made that's part of what made all these these last four episodes feel so much more cinematic and so much more like grandiose is they had this like a a a true like cinematograph cinematographic cinema cinematic cinematic score to it and uh that really helped make it stand out and make it so much better agreed but uh as as for like watching order 66 play out from ahsoka's perspective they definitely, like Jim said, they definitely played with everybody's expectations because they, you know, they know, like, everybody watching this knows this is coming. And I was one of the people clamoring for it. Like, oh, I can't wait to see Order 66 play out. This is going to be great. And then after it played out, it was a good episode and I enjoyed it, but I was like, huh, I guess they didn't need to spend an entire episode on this because it felt like they kind of, like Jim said, they kind of did drag it out a little bit more than I thought they would. Uh, but nonetheless, it was still really impactful, especially watching Captain Rex uh, really struggle to to pull the trigger, even though it's in his programming. That was that was really impactful and really powerful. And and like Nick said, it was just so much more personal than any other of the Order sixty six executions we saw, except for like Plo Koon's. If you know the context, Plo Koon, how like he constantly like risks his, his life to save his clones. That still gets me every time. But yeah, oh, yeah. It, was, it was super super personal. And that my biggest worry was like, don't make me watch Plo Koon's death again. Like I. I don't want to do that, but uh, I yeah. was really disappointed. I mean that that's that new design for Grievous. I do kind of wish we'd gotten to see that, but you know that said, you know we didn't need to see a rehash of Revenge of the Sith. I did like that they mirrored some scenes and showed how they were different, but that wasn't what the goal of this was. You know, as cool as that would be for fan service, I think they did a better job telling the story, um, and it was a different view of Order sixty six. It was much more personal, much more impactful, um, absolutely heartbreaking. I thought. More than the movie, even. Yeah, because the movie, you get all these these deaths um, in quick succession with one to two scenes showing what happens. But you you've been on this journey with Ahsoka and these you know these clone troopers that are her friends that have looked up to her and and fought with her for years and seeing them turn on her and how much it hurts her to not understand. And then when she understands, realizing she can't do anything about it and just kind of resigning herself to. I, I'm not going to kill them, so I don't know what else I can do. Um, before she came up with that plan at the end, she was really like, I, I guess I'm just going to have to die with them. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of amazed at how little Dave Filoni really does fan service. He, like, you kind of go through like the Clone Wars and the Rebels, and he just kind of he does George service. He does like what he thinks George <laughs> wants to do, and he doesn't do what he thinks the fans want. And I, And that I think ends up in a better storytelling than um, than what otherwise would be. 
Yeah, I think, and I think you're absolutely right. And, and I would say it works like 80% of the time. I would say like sometimes his ideas are a little too far out there. Um, specifically, like we were just talking about it, the, uh, the, the D company or D squad episode, whatever it was. That's one where it's like, yeah, I don't, I don't love this. Um, or like in terms of the Mandalorian, like, the one episode that Dave Filoni wrote was the one that most people disliked the most. Um, but yeah, for the most part, he... It's ironic, because he does little to no fan service, and he's universally loved by all the fans. I wish that uh, The Rise of Skywalker had taken you know, a page out of his notebook with regards to fan service. I think this is a perfect example how you can still pay tribute to something without filling it with fan service and Easter eggs. I thought I was being subtle by not bringing that up. I mean, why? I, I don't mind talking about it. Um, I think it's a thought that's clearly on a lot of people's minds, you know? Um, I mean, Star Wars has this reverence with its fan base, but it's not perfect. It makes mistakes. And I think, you know, that was a big one. But it's going to continue. It's going to keep rolling and it's going to get better. And hopefully the folks in charge. Uh, we'll learn from that, and I like to think that this is a good example of how you can, like I said, still succeed without relying on that. Um, but but also something that the Clone Wars didn't have to deal with that the Rise of Skywalker did is the Rise of Skywalker was trying so hard to bring both camps of Star Wars back together, and I think what they realized with the Rise of Skywalker is like you're just not going to make everybody happy. Like you can't. Like you're gonna you're gonna have to live with the fact you're gonna make people upset. But then with the Clone Wars, it's like actually no. It turns out you can make everybody happy. <laughs> like so, it's it's definitely a bit of a learning curve. I mean, I still I still love the Rise of Skywalker. I'm I'm done shying away from my love of that movie. I've watched it like four times since I bought it on Blu-ray, and I still absolutely love it. But um, but yeah, I mean it it is it, it it goes to show how well Dave Filoni knows the franchise because like I said, he's he's probably the only creator in star wars who is just universally loved like nobody really talks down even the people who like talk down on the clone wars and rebels their biggest gripe is like well it's a kid's show but then you give it a chance it's like yeah but it's a it's really really good storytelling and for the most part it captures the essence of star wars really really well but you see that's what it comes down to though storytelling like think about this for a minute you know filoni takes he's like okay we're going to do the Clone Wars. We're going to introduce this little, you know, 13-year-old girl who's going to be annoying and Anakin's Padawan. Here you go. I don't know about you, but I think just about everybody I knew was against it, myself included. And by the end, we all think she's the greatest thing since sliced bread because of good storytelling. The problem with a movie like, um, and no offense if you guys like this, but I mean, the problem with a movie like uh, The Last Jedi was it was so concerned with subverting expectations, it kind of forgot you have to tell a story in the middle of that. And then Rise of Skywalker was like, oh, crap, let's uh, try to negate everything that happened while still keeping it going to get both, like you said, get both camps together. And I feel like they forgot in some, a lot of places to tell a good story. If you tell a good story, people will like it. You know, it's funny. People blame the, the Last Jedi on toxic fandom and all. And they say, well, it's because, you know, guys were mad about Rey Skywalker. But here's all Star Wars fans united loving Ahsoka. It's just tell a damn good story. Just tell a good story. I love, and look, I like it when they put political undertones and things, and I, I think that's great. Just don't forget about the story. And, you know, and I think they forgot about, I think, I think, I think uh, Last Jedi was so concerned with subverting expectations that the narrative just blew off the rails, which is a shame because I think there were some great ideas set up in Force Awakens that then had to be backtracked. It was too late by that point. 
Um, but, you know, if you can take a character, a 13-year-old girl, you know, put in as Anakin's Padawan, which from a lore standpoint didn't make sense. It was made the show feel like more like a kid show. Oh, people Everybody were furious like about that. Yeah. I, I didn't actually, like it either. It actually drove me from wanting to watch the show until I sat down and did, and I was like, crap. You know, it took me about a season and a half to like her. It still doesn't make sense to me how he has a bad one. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, she, you know, and I mean, a lot of that credit goes to the writing team and Ashley Eckstein doing such a good job. But you know, it was a great story, and I mean, you take a, a thing that that was basically designed to fail by older Star Wars fans, and they all love it too. Just tell a good story, and people will be there for it. And I think with with the Clone Wars being such a massive project, when I say massive, I mean just like in terms of length. There's so much more opportunity to experiment and try new things that you just can't get away with in a movie. Like, I mean, like if they tried to do the, uh, I can't remember the name of the creature, but it's essentially the Godzilla arc of Clone Wars. Oh, Zilla Beast, yeah. Yeah, oh, it's literally called a Zilla Beast. It it is the Zilla arc. But, um, like that, like, I don't know if you could, you couldn't do that in a movie. It's just, it's it's too much of of a gamble and you only have a finite release window, and like you just don't have the time to do it. But with something like the Clone Wars, you have so much more time to like we can try out new things. And like, don't get me wrong, there is a lot in the Clone Wars that doesn't work. Um, I would argue there's probably more in the Clone Wars that doesn't work that does work. But it's just that when when the plots and the stories in the, the Clone Wars are good, when they're at their peak, they are outstanding. It's just unfortunately when they're bad, they can be really really bad. Like the fact that Jar Jar Binks got like three of his own story arcs and they're <laughs> yeah, all rough. rough. They're all rough. Or yeah. really, basically I think, uh, I can't remember if it was you, Jim, who told me this or if it was my little brother, but I was told basically if an episode looks like it's going to be all about Jar Jar, all about the droids, or all about Padme, you're in for a rough watch. And that I think that holds true. There's a few. There's a few a couple of pa- really good Padme episodes. I was going to say there's a few Padme episodes that are really strong. But they're pretty hit or miss. But like any of the ones that are just about three PO and R two D two are hard to get through, and all the Jar Jar ones are just rough. All right. Uh, so something else I I thought was um, pretty impressive from just this entire season, but really stood out in the last three episodes, um, was the animation quality when it came to the lightsaber combat. They showed um i don't know if if it's out yet but i saw uh, an ad for it on disney plus or somewhere the other day showing yeah, they how have the they, feature it yep yeah exactly. how they how they put that together um and the amount of work that went into it um and it really paid off it it stands out to me as um perhaps the best lightsaber um animation i've seen out of um disney and star wars yet well, first of all, I'm now noticing, now I know that JJ doesn't read my articles ever. Yeah, but, <laughs> how dare you? Because I was, was going to say, like, Nick covered that for the site. No, it's okay. Yeah, they put out a feature. And I mean, yeah, you're right, though. Uh, Lauren May Kim, she did the, uh, it was Ray Park for uh, Darth Maul and uh, Lauren Mary Kim. Sorry, Lauren Mar- Laura Mary Kim did the uh, motion capture for Ahsoka. And I mean, and they had to exaggerate it in animation, but they went through the process, how they mo-capped it and exaggerated it and stuff. And I mean, they're just moving so fast. I mean, I know if I was doing that, like if, if me and, and Laura, uh, Mary Kim, you know, squared off against each other, I would have been whacked in the face about 20 times. You know, they're moving so fast. Um, but even then, you know, then they, they overlaid anime animation on it. It was just brilliant. It was fantastic. Also the lighting. Um, one thing noticing how they shade a lot of it, just the lighting looks different 
Um, and I've been rewatching Clone Wars lately. Things like facial expressions and small moments and stuff like that. Just general advances in anima animation and lighting and stuff help it. But the mocap made a huge difference in that fight. And you could you could tell watching it that it it just felt so much more alive than all the other past lightsaber fights in the Clone Wars. Um, and like I think it's indisputable as the best lightsaber fight in the whole series. Uh, I at least in my memory, I can't think of one that I thought was better than that. Um, Which one? The the final duel between Ahsoka and Darth Maul. I think that was. Oh, okay. It just doesn't for for the Clone Wars at least. I wouldn't say it's like the best lightsaber duel in star wars history history which there were plenty of people on reddit making that claim but uh i mean for for the sake of the cartoons easily the best and you could the fact that it's they choreographed there. it it's i mean it's really really good it's 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 an awesome 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 fight scene and the fact that they choreographed it and that they used mocap shows and just makes it look that much better and that much more realistic because like it's just the intensity is so much higher than it would have been had they just straight up animated the whole thing yeah, I have a um, <clears throat> excuse me, a very big soft spot. Even though it's incredibly short, I absolutely love Darth Maul's final lightsaber duel ever with Obi Wan um, for a lot of reasons. But that's more of um, for nostalgic and story and character reasons. From a pure combat perspective, uh, Ahsoka and Darth Maul might have the best. Um, lightsaber fight ever well, JJ, wise. what you're mentioning there like obi-wan and, and and mauls and rebels that star that lightsaber fight it was short you're right but the emotional impact of it and and including the way that you know the way obi-wan countered the exact same move yeah killed that was brilliant i mean it was such a huge moment the thing that i was worried about going into this uh rebel or not rebels clone wars fight was i didn't think ahsoka versus Maul would have enough weight because these characters never interacted really before. And I thought they did a fantastic job setting up the parallels of these two force wielders that basically felt abandoned by their apparent religions and dis disillusioned with the people they had, you know, been tutored under. And, you know, they represented these two sides of, of a coin that doesn't get explored enough, I think, sometimes, is these people were very disillusioned with the, with the respective orders on dark and light side. And I thought they did a great job. I, I was worried there wouldn't be the type of weight that the Obi-Wan versus Maul final duel did. And it ended up, I mean, it's, I don't think, I think you're right. It didn't have the same emotional weight, but from a technical standpoint, it was fantastic. And I think they added a lot more weight to it than any of us were expecting. It kind of, They kind of had a reverse weight on that one because we knew that Ahsoka and Maul had interactions based on Rebels when they were interacting there that... They clearly had a past um, of some variety, and the Siege of Mandalore was the start of that past. So we we had that knowledge in our head that they were able to play with. And I I do have some issues with how they played with the Rebels timeline um, in the, this whole arc. But uh, that, that one, I thought they did rather well. I just, uh, when I was watching that fight, I thought of... Uh... Remember when they released the trailer for season seven and that, well, I don't remember the guy's name, but that one guy went on a rant on his podcast about how, like, how dare they try to sell to us that Dave Filoni's little 13 year old princess creation would beat Darth Maul. When I watched <laughs> that, I was like, this, that guy is losing his mind right now. <laughs> how could you watch the whole Clone Wars and not think she had a shot? She was badass. I know they, they, like, they'd set it up the whole time where it's just, and it's not like. It's not like she just like was 
always a badass from the start. It's like, no, she, like, worked her way up to it. And, like, granted, it, the Clone Wars does this and Rebels does this, too, where, like, sometimes you, like, you watch it where, like, you know, and it, it happens in this fight. At one point, like, she gets disarmed and Maul's blind just swinging at her and she has no lightsabers and she's just dodging it. I, I don't like that because it's, it's like, okay, that's that's a little ridiculous. But then you have to remember, like, oh, yeah, this is a cartoon. It's a kid's show. Like, they're going to take some liberties with the combat, and they're not just going to have Darth Maul, you know, decapitate one of the characters. But uh, other than that, no, I, I mean, like, it, it, you guys are right. The emotion, they, they, they play with the duality of, of who they both were really, really well. And, and it speaks to the whole idea that is presented in the sequel trilogy of, like, there should have never been this this binary light and dark side, Jedi's versus Sith, good versus evil, because there's just so much gray area in between. I think both both Ahsoka and Maul represent that that moral gray area, even if Maul is much more in the evil side of things. Now, Jim, I'm curious what what about the because Re- I'm starting to get back into Rebels now because of the Clone Wars. I didn't I didn't watch all the episodes. I just I was one of those losers who watches just watch the important episodes, quote unquote. How did it mess with the timeline? If you if you feel comfortable talking about it. Oh, thank you for bringing that up. I have it pulled up. Um, I actually have the audio from the episode all set to go. Oh, I love see, this. <laughs> I'll see it. I, I may have to add it in post, but here, let's see if we can. Uh, this is when they first meet Rex in the, the episode, The Lost Commanders, is season two, episode three. Oh, and he says, I never turned on my Jedi, I bet. Out in the desert in the, um, the old tank, right? Yeah. They came for me. Later, they said they had chips in their heads that made them do it. Said they had no choice. I didn't betray my Jedi. Wolf. Gregor and I all removed our control chips. We all have a choice. So that... I brought that up said, in my review. Yeah. Where he said he removed his control chips. He didn't mm-hmm. betray his Jedi, which... He did. Um, I, yeah, I would, I, would, I would say that's kind of stretching the truth there. Although he did, I mean, he fought against it. You know, some people like Cody went like, that's an order. He told Ahsoka how to, how to help him before he did it. So, I mean, he still betrayed her, but. Yes, but he also, the the thing is like many people online have all said this is that I said it as well as that he had his chip removed. We were told not only in Rebels, we were told elsewhere. um, Maybe the Ahsoka novel, I don't remember exactly. Um, the Soka novel was completely different with the flashbacks, but there's other places like that. He had removed this chip due to the, um, the issue with fives. And, and so that, that was one of those, like, so you're just kind of playing with the continuity now because I can see the flashbacks with the Ahsoka novel and Maul fight like you're going for a little more dramatic impact and it worked that that fight was outstanding I loved it to death I I I gave them I gave them free reign I didn't mind this bothered me and I don't know why it bothered me so bad but it, it really did bother me that he all of a sudden had his chip like the way it worked out worked out well it was really cool but it the fact that they kind of played against what they had already established um that that was irksome yeah and I I remember I, I read the Ahsoka novel and I, I the, about the one thing I was disappointed is they didn't keep from the Ahsoka novel was when she called Maul half a Sith 
I was like, oh, that was a great burn. You should have kept that in there. But, um, <laughs> you know, but other than that, it was, yeah, the Ahsoka novel, they changed it. But I thought they changed it, like you said, for the better. Um, I was a little disappointed, too, because I, I felt like they did set us up. Like you said, Jim, like, OK, he's going to have to. I kept saying, looking for a scar. I mean, like, when's he going to remove his chip? And he didn't when Order 66 came. Uh, that being said, I loved what they did, but I even said in my review, that's something that I, I let slide because of how well they do it. They did it, but that did bug me because I, I watched that's one of the episodes of Rebels I liked and watched. This is, I remember him saying, I didn't turn on my dead Jedi. I, I like the half a Sith comment too, and it plays with Rebels, the comment when Maul calls her um, part-timer. Yeah. <laughs> um, speaking of the chips... I know this is uh, a topic that's frequently discussed on the internet, but I have to ask you guys, uh, do you think the Bad Batch has their chips or no? I was See, I was really hoping that we would get to see at least a little cutaway to the Bad Batch during Order 66 because I wanted to know how they reacted to it because I, I assume they don't have it. Like... Because of because of the bad batch and they were mutated and they were probably tossed out early ice, so it's just my assumption that they don't. But even if they do, I wanted to see like we talked about this when we first talked about the bad batch arc. But like even if they did have their chips, I would have loved to see a quick cutaway of the bad batch just like wrecking a bunch of jedis. Like I know that's yeah. morbid, but that would have been awesome to watch. Well, and think about this: Rex was able to resist it for a few seconds. And he's probably the most independent thinking clone we've seen. The Bad Batch, you know, just by their nature, were extremely independent. And then you have Echo as part of the Bad Batch, who you can't tell me something organically didn't happen when he was, you know, cybernetically, you know, modified and molten that machine or something. You know, they could do a whole, there's a whole lot of stories you could still tell. I know people say, oh, we got to let Clone Wars go. But you could tell a great story about Echo trying to, you know, get the chips out of the Bad Batch or something there or Echo realizes that something's not right and fighting it. Something there had to happen. Yeah, Echo's I mean, something... There's no way... Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Jim. I say, you're, you're right. Echo's something special because he was hooked up to those machines. There's no telling what, like, the, the Confederacy um, was able to determine because we know, like, obviously, like, um, Palpatine and Dooku know what's going on, but there's no there's no chance that they told anybody else that the entire clone army has a chip inside of it we could shut this entire war down in about two seconds um and so but they may have figured it out on their own which echo may have discovered out um that way but i i i imagine they do have their chips in them just because if rex has his chip in him and he knows it's there that I can't imagine anybody else would have taken it out. I just feel like they're the, the characters had such a positive reaction and they're so unique and there's so many good storytelling opportunities there that um, if they had them echo remove them or because of, you know, being a bad quote unquote batch um, that something went wrong with them and they malfunctioned. I just feel like um, those are characters when you get that type of reaction um, those are characters that you don't waste. Like, I, I feel like we're going to definitely see them again. Yeah. And I mean, you've got, uh, like I said, I mean, the Clone Wars took place over three years. I get some people want to go on forever. There's only so many stories you can tell them that. But I feel like 
There are so many stories. <laughs> if you wanted to make like another Lost Missions thing, and you do like the Bounty Hunter Hunter arc where you know Boba Fett and Bane have that have that uh, Cad Bane. Sorry, you're Boba Fett and Cad Bane have that uh, you know that standoff or something with the Bad Batch. JJ, like what you were talking about. I think there's some Lost Mission things and stuff like that you could do to continue to expand in different corners. I think I don't know. I've always thought the Clone Wars that whole era is my favorite era of Star Wars. Um, you know, and I think there's a lot of stories you could still tell during that time. I believe Mash would disagree with the fact that you can't tell a <laughs> a story about a um a war indefinitely as the war only lasted the Korean War only lasted 3 years and Mash lasted 11 seasons. Good point. Good point. <laughs> Very good point. That that's I'm glad you guys brought that up cuz that was something I wanted to talk about was whether or not we felt like there were still more stories to tell within the Clone Wars. Um, and I'm, I'm kind of with Jim where like I am, I'm definitely more of a fan of Rebels than I am in the Clone Wars. Um, and that's because, for me, my favorite era of Star Wars is the Galactic Civil War. But I, I, I definitely felt like, okay, like, yeah, like they, the Clone Wars is wrapped up. Like, I don't, I don't feel the need for any more stories. Would I like to see more of the Bad Batch? Sure. But other than that, I, I think they did a fantastic job of just closing everything out. And, and also not my favorite part about the last episode was like, they didn't drag it out with a ton of expository dialogue or these massive grandstanding moments. It was this incredibly fast paced, intense ship es- ship escape. And the only like real moment of calm was that awesome, awesome scene where Ahsoka explains to Rex, like, I won't, like these men might die to kill me, but I'm not going to be the one who kills them. And when she takes off Rex, Rex's helmet and he's got the tear coming down his face, like that was really, A, it was like a very impactful and touching scene, but it was the only part of the whole final episode where it really slowed down for a minute. And I think that was awesome that they didn't try to like, they didn't, they didn't overbloat the, this final episode. And I think that, and, and by doing that, they, at the same time, they didn't, they didn't overbloat it, but they also still neatly wrapped it all up. And I think, that is incredibly hard to do for seven seasons of, of television. It's, it's just, it's really, really impressive. And that final scene is like, so it's it, like you guys pointed out earlier, no dialogue, but it's just so impactful. Just to have like that shot of Darth Vader holding her lightsaber. And the carnivore, the, carnivore, the you know, Ahsoka's bird. I can't remember. Mord, Mordecai. What's his name? The bird. Oh, I can't remember. Oh, bird. Okay. So the, but when he looks up, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming that's the bird that was flying overhead. Yeah, that's what I thought too. Yeah, um, they did not uh, return of the king this series. Yes. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Actually, I would argue that this might be the best uh, or second best finale in Star Wars history. Because I would say, like, that's one thing Star Wars has never been good at. All three trilogies, the final movie doesn't necessarily stick the landing. Yeah, like Revenge of the Sith is the closest one to do it, but even Revenge of the Sith leaves a ton of plot holes. Um, so, like, I was surprised. I'm like, wow, this is one of the few Star Wars closing chapters that actually closes everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and one thing, you know, as impactful as that last episode was emotionally, there were some sequences. Like, that sequence in midair where Rex is flying, flying the Y-Wing. Oh, and Ahsoka that's awesome. Is, that was just, I mean, I was, you know, you know she's going to be okay. And I was losing my... We're not allowed to cuss on this. Sorry, I was going to say losing my poodoo. I was losing my poodoo on that, you know, just That's going nuts. Yeah, I was <laughs> I was yelling 
you know, like a like like a person in a movie theater without any manners is yelling at my computer screen for her to grab on. You know, I mean, that was an amazing sequence. Um, you know, so is impactful. They did such a good job. They provided some amazing sequences for it that were thrilling. Um, you know, like you said, they didn't draw it out. Uh, they also did some things technically that were just nice touches. Like, for instance, um, the scene where she felt, uh, you know, what happened in the chancellor's office and Mace Windu getting killed. I don't know if you guys noticed it, but in the original dialogue, they got Matt Latner, you know, the voice of Anakin, to yell, what have I done, mixed in with that. Oh, I didn't realize that, that it wasn't Hayden Christensen. Yeah. yeah. I did I did catch that as well. Yeah, just little nice touches like that, you know, and I mean, just, and like I say, he didn't have to do major fan service, just little things that connected stuff together, and it was, it was an economy of storytelling in about the best way possible. Yeah, I, I don't think, um, with how many creative minds there are out there and people that are passionate about Star Wars, I don't know we'll ever really get to the point where there's not stories left to tell during this time period it's just with where the franchise is overall and how long it's been on this time period i would really like it if they started to dig into a different area um of the timeline whether that's way in the past in the future and we're gonna see a little bit about of that soon um starting with uh charles sewell i believe the light of the jedi is that correct yeah, the first Project Luminous book. Yes. Uh, so, you know, they're, they're starting that, but they're only going back 200 years. And, um, you know, there's we've seen in Legends, there's plenty of stuff to talk about. Um, in the Old Republic, there's plenty of stuff to talk about before the formation of the Republic. So I kind of wish, wish Disney would, would take us somewhere, like, far, far away within Star Wars um, that we're not so familiar with. And as excited as I am for the uh, Project Luminous books, it, it just feels so close that it's only 200 um, years away. I really don't want to seem like I'm complaining about it because it's new content with new characters and I'm sure it's going to be great. Um, but I really would like to see just like a whole new area that has been um, that's not near to where we've been before and it's just completely unexplored. Well, and that's one thing. And um, I don't know if we want to really jump into it now. But they did announce with the uh, writer and director of Russian Doll getting her own Star Wars series. In that announcement, they had said that it's going to take place in an era of Star Wars that hasn't been explored yet. So it does look like they are they are at the very. I I agree when they announced Project Luminous, we talked about it on the show that I was like, two hundred years is great, but like that still doesn't feel that far removed from what we know, especially because like you, we know like well Yoda would still be alive then, so it's not that far. So I do think it would be nice for them to, to go into different eras. But I also understand how in order to keep it familiar and to keep it Star Wars, I do understand how they, they feel the need to stick to certain eras and such. Um, but I, I mean, I think the next natural step, if they're going to keep going with animation, I really hope they do because like we, we've talked about in this episode, is they've they really made some incredible strides in the animation and in the, in the lighting and the camera work of all this. Um I I really hope they finish out Ahsoka's story and and pick up where Rebels left off and show mm-hmm. where Ahsoka and Sabine go and if they go track down Etzra and if they go into the unknown regions and see what's going on there. Um, that's where I hope they go next. That that's what I was going to bring up is that you're looking at unexplored territory 
that is a huge like gap in our knowledge of the the timeline is between the Mandalorian and the Force Awakens, or just before the Force Awakens, when all that that pickup material you got twenty five years there and very little material. You got two books, and that is about it. And yeah. so um, you, you have it. I I would imagine that if we're going to be seeing a series, they're going to be plopping it in that time frame. And I and I re- I wouldn't see that. Yeah, there's other things we don't know. Like, you know, we don't know where Ahsoka was after she got pulled out of that fight, you know, by Ezra. And then she kind of disappeared and then shows up again after return of the Jedi. There's gotta be an explanation for where she was. Like you've mentioned Ezra, you know, Thrawn, there's a whole bunch of stuff. We don't know. Even eras we've explored. There's parallel stories. We don't know. There are plenty of places to explore, you know, new storytelling. And like you said, I hope a lot of it's an animation. I think, you know, they could do a lot with it. And my thing too is, I mean, are we to are we to to believe that Ahsoka didn't participate in the rebellion at all after getting pulled out of the fight with Darth Vader? Like, that's the one weird thing for me. It's like, I and maybe I haven't read the Ahsoka book, so maybe it's answered in there, and Jim's going to tell me how wrong I am. Nope. He's shaking his head, no. Yeah, so it's like that's another era where. So I, as, as I do feel the, the Clone Wars story got wrapped up well, I feel like Ahsoka's story is not even close to being done. Because we still need to figure out, like, did she just sit the rebellion out? Which would be kind of crazy to think about. J- Jim's nodding now. She, she, spa retreat. <laughs> yeah, she, <laughs> yeah. She just needed a personal day. And that personal day turned into a couple of years. It's interesting, um, you know, if the rumors are to be believed about um, her appearance in The Mandalorian Season 2, this could be Disney testing the waters to see if, the continuation for her story would be best served in live action. Um, and True. personally, I'd be really excited about that. Like seeing Ahsoka wielding lightsabers in live action would be pretty cool. Sabine uh, in live action? Oh, I mean, I would love that. I'm all for that. Um, but speaking of um, Ahsoka's story, how did you guys feel about... Um, her last scene in Clone Wars and the scene with Vader that followed it up. I mean, it was, just, it, was it was heartbreaking. Um, I, I feel like it's the closest we're going to get to like true closure between those two characters because by having Darth Vader go back and cause I, what the way I read it was like Darth Vader tracked that down. That wasn't like, he didn't happen upon that. Like I looked at, I saw it as like, Oh, like he was searching for Ahsoka and this is where it led him. So I think it shows that like there was still that that tiny shred of goodness in him that wanted to go find his <laughs> form Padawan. Or, or hold on, I wasn't done. Or nope, he wanted to track her down so he could kill her. No, he yes. wouldn't have wanted. To, he would not have wanted to kill her because she left the Jedi Order. He would have hopefully seen her as a as a ally. Um, that's at least Jim. You can you can correct me because you're more knowledgeable about Rebels than I am. But I felt like when they met for the duel. That was more what he was looking at, you know, like you can join me. In fact, he seemed a little bit miffed and surprised that she didn't. And and she left the Jedi Order. And I love the fact that Rex tried to use that technicality to see if he could get her out of Order 66, because I wondered if that would come into play. But she left the Jedi too. Order. She was disillusioned with it. And I bet there's a part of him that hoped. It's like she she saw this before I did, that the Order was corrupt. Now, he had a much more twisted and wrong view of how corrupt the Order was. But she goes, she, he, she saw it. Maybe she'll understand. Maybe she'll validate what I did. Because a lot, Vader, my, 
Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Jim. I was going to go. Vader's also in the mindset during Rebels and after. He just wants a partner in anybody. He's like, yeah. Luke, join me. Um, uh, oh, anybody, Ahsoka, any, any, anybody, please. Like, I think you, one of my favorite scenes, little boy, in, join me. In in Revenge of the Sith, one of my favorite scenes is when he's on Mustafar and he's already killed so many people, and he, you see a tear running down his face. You're like Vader, but you realize, I mean, he has turned but they he still feels extreme guilt about it I mean, and in the comics they've explored his guilt about padme and everything ahsoka would have been a way for him to assuage his guilt and you know that's a, and i mean you saw that even though he had a mask on you know when he picked up in, her light cell and, and uh, we and heard it up. we yeah. heard it in the um the final episode what have i done he knew yeah. from the moment that he did it yeah and i think that's why he will he wasn't hunting ahsoka he was looking for her I, yeah, can, I, I, I can be convinced of that. Yeah, I think that, I, I, I think, like I said, I think that that final scene is the closest we're going to get to true closure between those two characters. Um, but I kind of like that. It leaves it a little bit messy. And I think relationships like that can be messy. <laughs> Former Jedi, current Sith Lord. <laughs> sort, sort of my old mentoree. What do I do? Um, by the way, we were, we, we're talking for a, a quick second about Mandalorian season two. Uh, news that broke while we were recording is uh, Peyton Reed, the director of Ant Man, uh, is apparently directed an episode of The Mandalorian for season two, and he just uh, revealed that on Twitter. So nice. that's neat. It's not huge news, but it's it's a little news. There you go. That's cool. We're breaking news on the pod. You know, I actually time. just saw Ant Man. Me and my girlfriend are watching all the Marvel movies in a row. I hadn't seen Ant Man yet. It's really good. I... It's. I should have it's gotten over myself and seen it. Really. Yeah, surprisingly good movie. Um, but yeah, it's going to be... The, the one thing I realized without the Clone Wars is like, man, this is a bummer. There's there's no weekly Star Wars to look forward to now. And uh, then they dropped that Mandalorian documentary. And I thought they were going to drop it all eight parts at once, but they're actually doing week releases of that. So I'm like, oh, cool. There's a, more Star Wars to look forward to every week. We've got another two months of uh, of documentaries now. Yeah, I love it. And if you're which digital, are, which are you're, not short. <laughs> no, they're that's the coolest thing. They're 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 as long as the episodes of The Mandalorian, which is awesome. Um, and I know I don't know if you guys have seen it yet. I mean, like I watched it last night. It's it's awesome. It's really sweet. Dave Filoni gives a great story about how he got hired for Lucasfilm, and he thought he was being pranked by the creator of SpongeBob, and like almost lost the job because at the end of the call he was like seriously. Uh, I can't remember the guy's name who created Spongebob, but he was like, why are you doing this to me? And the lady was like, what are you talking about? And then it dawned on him. He was like, oh my God, this is actually Lucasfilm calling me. But uh, it was awesome. I can't wait to see more of that. All right. You guys ready to leave Clone Wars behind and talk some news? Yes. uh, End it. The Clone Wars discussion has. Uh, so there was some announcements for the Cassian Andor series. Uh, Genevieve O'Reilly is reprising her role as Mon Mothma. Excited to see that. Yes. Thought she did great. Yes. Uh, they confirmed the series will take place five years before the events of Rogue One, during uh, the events of Rebels. I find uh, it's it's. Um... Somebody wrote here in the middle of Rebels. Rebels actually starts at five years, so you're looking right at the same time as the beginning of Rebels. Well, that's that's what I meant when I wrote it. It's like they're gonna happen concurrently, 
Yes. I, I would be shocked if they don't bring in some of the Rebels characters, or at the least reference Rebels. It, it would actually be weird if they don't. Because, well, like, Mon Mothma is in Rebels as well. Exactly. And so we can see, because they rescue her in Rebels, we could see that literal transition of the character from one series to the other. Yeah, it, it'll be... It'll be a massive wasted opportunity if they don't, at, like I said, at the very least, you have to reference Rebels because, like, it's the they're building the Rebel Alliance, so they you know Cassian Andor knows who Ghost Squadron is, like he absolutely or Phoenix Squadron is, like he absolutely knows that he has to know who they are because they're an integral part of starting the the rebellion. Um, so that was like my favorite little tidbit to come out of this announcement was that it's gonna like. The, this is going to start with the exact time when Rebel starts, and I think that's that's awesome. Plus, the um, the the girl who played Mon Mothma, I know you just said her name, but I'm blanking on it already. Um, Genevieve O'Reilly. Thank you. Uh, she was perfect and looked exactly like the original actress, but uh, not in like a creepy way or a CGI way like they did with uh, the guy who played Peter Cushing playing um, um, Talking. Because I remember, I didn't realize until after I saw Rogue One, that Peter Cushing was dead, and I was like, oh, that's creepy. And now I can't... And now that I know that, it really changes the way I look at it. Oh, no, yeah, they... Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Jim. I was going to say, Genevieve O'Reilly's been Mon Mothma for a while. I think she she was in episode three. She was Rogue One. She did the voice in Rebels. She's like... She is the new Mon Mothma, like the younger version of her. I mean, at this point, I would say she is the Mon Mothma. Yeah, and reading her story, I like uh, Chuck Wendig's Aftermath novels. Um, when you do the interview inter, interludes, I don't know if you guys are familiar with those novels, but it has a main story going through, and it would interlude different parts of the of the of the galaxy recovering from the um, Black Civil War. And Mon Mothma's parts were so good, and that's a character I feel like I, I don't know just her presence whenever she's on screen, something about it, you know. And I mean, a lot of that is Genevieve, it commands your attention. Yeah, yeah, I mean to her credit, Genevieve O'Reilly's credit, but I, I would really like to see. I mean, the guts it took to be the leader of the rebellion. Yeah, you know, it feels I mean, very elegant, but also very commanding and and um, just powerful. I would like to see more about her in any yeah. form that we have going forward. Um, so there was a bunch of video game announcements today uh, as well. Um, Jedi Fallen Order got a big content patch with Woo! new cosmetics um, for Cal and BD1 there's a new game mode you can make your own challenges i loved this game i had a lot of fun playing it so i'm really excited this gives me a reason to pick it up and go back and play some more yeah i was i was quite critical of this game i didn't hate it but i was i just didn't love it as much as everybody else did but i have gone back and played it probably like once every two weeks since i beat it and now that i have more and like when i've been playing it i just i just explore like i, I just like no direction. I just run around these temples and stuff and look around. But now that I can just just do combat scenarios, I I'll probably put a lot more time in this game. All right, I I will sit down and I say our next episode is on the Jedi Fallen Order. I'll finish it. Oh yeah, just a, a, a chill eight months late. <laughs> I I will I will do I will do it like I said. Um, it's somewhere on my to do list. I think. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Another piece of news, um, Vader Immortal, uh, a VR series, 
is coming to PlayStation VR. Uh, and I'm very excited about this personally because I refuse to give Facebook money. Uh, and prior to this announcement, this game has been an Oculus Rift exclusive. So this mm-hmm. is a very exciting t- uh, for me. There's three episodes and three lightsaber dojos, and it's all coming to PSVR this summer. And you can buy it separately or in a big batch with everything included. So very they exciting. Are, they are super fun games. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say each game probably about an hour long playing time. So you're, they're not very long, but you're in depth in there. And with my motion sickness, uh, it, <laughs> an hour is an eternity. <laughs> um, but they, they are super fun games. I'm glad that more people will be able to play them. I, I love my Oculus, but I can see not wanting to give Facebook money. I was I was in the the, the camp where I was like I don't because what like a base Oculus like the the one that you don't need a PC for is still like 400 bucks, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And whereas a piece a PlayStation VR, I think is 200. I want to say, but I'm not sure. But for me, there I've I've looked at the VR, the PlayStation VR and I've always thought like it would be cool, but there's nothing for it yet that makes me go like yeah I want to spend two hundred bucks on this. Vader Immortal, ooh, I'm gonna think about it a lot, uh, especially if we get more government stimulus checks, then it's for sure gonna get purchased by me. Uh, so as you may or may not know, if you're listening to the show, AIPT, our mother site where this uh, show is hosted out of started with comic books and is known for comic books so we were all very excited uh, when marvel announced that they're resuming uh, shipment of new comics again and that means more star wars comics uh, specifically the new dr afra number one and you can get it right now digitally Um, connor is the only one of us that's read it so i'll let him give you a little uh, selling point on it but i mean she's one of the best characters in star wars so it shouldn't take a lot yeah, before before I start, uh, Nick, I, I've never asked. What's your your knowledge of Doctor Afra? I'll be honest, and not to, uh, I liked Doctor Afra a lot when she was in the original Star Wars series. I could not get into her solo adventures. That's fair. Um, That's fair. I just couldn't. Um, and uh, yeah, I don't know what it was. I, I thought the character was kind of cool. Um, and then I didn't see her in Solo. No, no, like solo adventure. Oh, <laughs> I uh, hate you, Jim, uh, 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 so much. Yeah, but um, you know, I, I, I just couldn't get into her. I, I don't know why. Um, cause she is a very cool character. I like the concept of her. I just, I don't know. Never got into the the adventures after she left the Vader comic. Well, here's the thing. So with with Doctor Afra, I, I mean, she's, I mean, oh, she's second to Han Solo as my favorite Star Wars character. Um, absolutely love her and. With the when she spun off into her own series, the first about the first eighteen issues or so were very much focused on Doctor Afra going into space, trying to find artifacts and selling them for money, and you know stabbing people in the back while she does it. She was she was very much the morally ambiguous Indiana Jones in space. But after those first eighteen issues, they kind of shifted away from that, and it became more about her involvement in the Galactic Civil War and how she kind of played both sides throughout it, just, you know, varying levels of success. And I really enjoyed that, but I know a lot of fans kind of fell off because they were like, well, I, I, I came here for the, you know, for the archaeology aspect. Like, I wanted to learn more about Star Wars lore. 
So I'm very happy to say that this new volume of Dr. Afro, which, like JJ said, you can read right now, um, it is hidden in comic book stores May 27th physically, but if you want to buy it digitally, you can buy it right now, Comixology, Marvel Star, uh, Marvel Digital Comic Store, wherever. But this new, this new volume is right back to the roots of... It is. She's not involved in the Galactic Civil War anymore. She's kind of left it behind. She has a new crew and is totally about like she just wants to find cool artifacts from the history of the galaxy. Uh, and the new writer um, is it? Uh, it's Alyssa Wong. Hold on. I yeah, Alyssa Wong. It, Alyssa Wong. She. You can tell she really knows Afra very very well because it. It. You know. Sometimes when you see a creative team take over a book. You'll notice a difference in tone or in the mannerisms of the character or, or just like the way they act can change a little bit. But like this, it, it, it feels like a completely natural progression of, of Dr. Afro as a character. So um, I myself, I'm not a digital comic book guy. I love my floppies. I love going to the comic book store and buying individual issues. But I'm just such a massive Dr. Afro fan. It's been so long since it's been a Dr. Afro book out that I, I, as soon as I could read this, I did. Um, so I definitely highly recommend buying this book and checking it out, especially if you're an Afro fan, and especially if you're a fan of the original pr- premise of Doctor Afro. You will absolutely love this. I'm looking forward to it. It's it's really really good. Um, it was it was a nice nice Star Wars Day surprise to be able to read this early. Do you know when it's actually being delivered? Uh... Uh, May twenty seventh. Okay. And then on top of that, um, Star Wars Bounty Hunter number three is also back on the release schedule, which is good. Uh, but that's not till June 24th. Uh, so a bit of a wait there, which kind of sucks. So I am a fan of the digital comics since apparently they get really bright. But uh, I do collect the, the regular issues. So. <laughs> yeah, like I'm, I'm still going to buy the, the physical number one, and I'll probably buy a couple variants too. Um, but very, very happy to have this back. Yeah, and um, for those of you wondering about Vader and the um, main Star Wars title, just Star Wars, that's um, covering Lando and Luke's adventures primarily during the events of um, The Empire Strikes Back. There's no word on either of those series yet, but if you haven't caught up on them, I would definitely recommend it. They're both excellent, and when they come back, it'll be very much worth your time. Uh, So our last little piece of news here. There's um, the last update to Star Wars Battlefront 2, the Battle of Scarif, was released. And after this, uh, EA and DICE, the developer and publisher of the game, is moving on. Um, So this game started off with a huge amount of controversy and anger surrounding it. um, But through a lot of updates, really improved its uh, reputation with players um, and became a pretty good game but Connor covered um, the last update and unfortunately it was a little disappointing I guess yeah I I was really really looking forward to it um, I've sung the praises of Battlefront since the celebration update dropped I think they over the past couple of years have really put a, a ton of time and effort into making it better and like don't get me wrong I'll be the first one to tell you it's probably the worst video game launch of all time it was just awful but, uh, yeah, this, this last drop, you can very much tell that they rushed through this. And, obviously, I think part of it had to do with the whole development teams working from home. And I understand that, and that kind of sucks. But, uh, yeah, it, it was just a little disappointing, you know, because they have the Battle of Scarif. And uh, it's, a, it's an incredible battle, and the map itself is gorgeous. But 
They didn't add Jyn Erso as a hero. They didn't add Cassian Andor as a hero, which is really surprising given the the hype that's starting to build around his show. Uh, no Orson Krennic as a villain. So it's a little weird. Um, and they took out like the capital ship battles that usually uh, uh, sandwich these games together. So, yeah, I mean, it's like I still recommend, like, if you haven't played Battlefront in years and you were just uh, disgruntled by the launch, I agree. Like, you know, I, I understand that, but I really think you should come back and play it. But, yeah, this last update was a little disappointing as all. Well. All right, and our last piece of news, um, this was... Our last, last. <laughs> yes, excuse me, our last, last piece of news uh, that kind of blew up the internet today. Um, StarWars.com announced that Taika Waititi will direct and co-write a new Star Wars feature film alongside Oscar nominee uh, Christy Wilson Cairns. And, yeah, that's pretty much it. I mean, Taika's the man. Everything that he does is pretty amazing so and if you don't know christy um, karen she's the one who wrote uh 1917 which is an incredible movie yeah it's yeah this made me super excited like because i remember it was a couple months back they had said like oh taika waititi's being courted by star wars and i think he even like made a tweet about it like a joke being like don't believe the rumors and then it turned out like well no they were absolutely right so like i wasn't super i was like oh great that's awesome taika waititi crushed it on the mandalorian thor ragnarok's awesome what we do in the shadows is great but I wasn't super surprised. I was way more excited that they got, um, um, uh, uh, oh my God, I'm blanking on her name. You just said her name. But they got the co-writer of 1917 to do it because it's like, all right, sweet. You got somebody who just wrote one of the best war movies in the past decade. It's going to do a Star Wars movie now with one of like the, the most creative minds in Hollywood right now. I think the, there is a very high ceiling for whatever this story is going to be. And this this may be our next movie release because the right now all we have is the Ryan Johnson trilogy that we've heard nearly nothing about other than he's still working on it. Um, but that was set like maybe several years sometime in the future that we don't know when it's going to be released. The Game of Thrones guys are gone. And theoretically, oh God. What? <laughs> what? Well, remember, uh, Jim, there's that one other one that we talked about a couple months ago, but it's by a relatively unknown director. And oh, it was, that's right. Was that? And it's it's the one that is rumored to be the a movie entirely about Exegol, but that so they announced the the director being signed to Star Wars was confirmed, but the what the movie is about hasn't been confirmed yet. So right now we have, like you said, the Ryan Johnson trilogy. We have this Taika Waititi movie, and we have that movie. And yeah, I the the only reason they it. people. The only reason people were saying that was about Exegol was because they don't know how to read a press release and completely misinterpreted a joke. Oh yeah, I remember. I remember you you explained it on the on the podcast. Like, no, 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 they didn't say it was going to be on Exegol. Um, but yeah, who knows? This might be the next one we get because we have not heard anything about Ryan Johnson's trilogy. Other, no, other than they, they have a lot going on, and I'm sure after all the controversy around the last three films, they're going to take their time and really figure it out. So I don't expect any news anytime soon. By the way, if you want to know how bad Game of Thrones ended, we're in quarantine right now, and nobody's watching it. That is true. I Nobody. mean, literally, yeah, no one's rewatching it because of how terrible that last season was. Yeah, when I heard they were not on the, the Star Wars universe anymore, I was like, okay. Oh, my goodness. So, all right. So that is going to do it for us. Uh, Nick, thanks for being on, man. It was great having you. Yeah, thanks. Hopefully I was I was able to contribute. You guys, you know, Absolutely. always have good, 
good content. So anytime you want me on here, especially now in quarantine, I've got my girlfriend starting to watch Star Wars more, so she's starting to get into it. Hey, but, there uh, you go. Yeah. Um, but anytime you guys want someone to talk about Star Wars with, I'm happy to join in. So as as soon as the Mandalorian's back on, you're up. There we go. <laughs> Which granted is until October. Or maybe we'll have you back on when we talk about the uh, the whole documentary series when that wraps up. But yeah, we'll definitely have you back on, man. It was awesome to have you. Well, thank you all for having me. Thanks for being here. All right, everybody. Um, thank you for listening, as always. We really do appreciate it. You can find all of us on AIPTcomics.com uh, for a lot more comic book reviews, but also um, television, film, video games, the works. If it's nerdy, we probably have something about it. Uh, you can also find us on Twitter at AIPT Comics, where in addition to Star Wars uh, news and uh, featurettes, you'll find all sorts of other fun, nerdy stuff. Uh, Jim, you want to tell people where they can email us? Yes, definitely. We'd love to hear from you, get you on the show. Uh, our email address is talkintontons at AIPTcomics.com. All right. And with that, we're going to get out of here. So thank you again for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye, you go.